Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Hello, DealQuest community. Corey Kupfer coming to you with another solo cast, uh, the DealQuest podcast. And I want to talk about something that's in the news right now, but it is a general, you know, uh, deal uh, thing. Although uh, this is at a level that most of you are never going to be in a position. And frankly, not at a level that we do deals at, uh, you know, because this is for big public companies. And we do deals, uh, we generally represent private, we some, do some very big deals and we represent large companies, but they're usually privately held. But I thought it was just interesting because it's in the news and, and you know, so this is just more educational in general, you know, for folks and it does affect the deal, uh, the deal, you know, it's in the context of deals. So what I want to talk about, many of you may have heard that uh, Twitter is in play and that Elon Musk from SpaceX and Tesla and you name it, right, you know, is, has offered, has already bought up 9% of Twitter uh, stock and is talking about, you know, buying buying more and potentially taking over the company. Now, this is what is in the industry called a hostile takeover because it's, uh, the, the Twitter uh, board is not in favor of it. So it becomes a hostile uh, takeover attempt. And um, those of you who've been around for a little while or in the deal space or just read up about this, know that, you know, hostile takeovers always are not new. It was certainly way, 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 way more prevalent in the 80s, let's say, uh, when you had, you know, all these corporate raiders, so to speak, and all this, all this um, folks doing these hostile takeovers, you heard a lot more about it. And one of the reasons why you've heard less about it in recent years, although it does still happen, is this concept of a poison pill. And one of the things that inspired me to record this solo cast today, which is, uh, it'll air, uh, we're going to put this one out pretty quickly, is that um, on the day I'm recording this, which is uh, on April 15th, Twitter board, there was an announcement that Twitter board adopted a poison pill. Uh, to try to prevent Musk or theoretically anybody else from taking over the company. And now what is, what is the poison pill? Um, so, uh, and that's the general sort of name for it. Uh, uh, you'll hear the term, the more formal term, shareholders' rights, uh, you know, uh, provision or, but what, what it is, is it, 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 there are various variations on it, but they all tend to do most often one thing, which is that they allow Everybody except for the uh, the hostile takeover person, so, but they usually phrase it down generally. So let's say, hey, you know, this applies to everybody except except anybody who's newly acquiring equity at you know above a certain threshold. So for example, in uh, Twitter's case, they said above fifteen percent. So Musk owns nine percent now. If he hits fifteen percent, or theoretically, if anybody else comes in and buys fifteen percent, it triggers this shareholders' rights um, uh, you know uh, uh, action and uh, the poison pill. Uh, the shareholders' rights plan. And under that plan, all the existing shareholders get to buy additional equity at a reduced price. So what does that do? What that does is it, it dilutes 
the the equity that that Musk in this case has, right? That the hostile acquirer has. It dilutes it down, and it dilutes it down not just because you're uh, issuing more equity, but you're issuing more equity at a lower price. So it makes the company way more expensive for the hostile uh, acquirer uh, to buy. And it's been a pretty successful tool, in, although not universally it's worked, but it's been a pretty successful tool in general. In fact, you know, there are some examples where prior companies in you know, over the last number of years have done this at times when they've been uh, you know, threatened. So for example, one example is in uh, July of 2018, Papa John's uh, adopted a poison pill. And that was, a, that was an interesting case because that was a case with a founder of uh, Papa John's who had been kicked out because he used a racial slur, and uh, you know, and there was a big backlash, understandably, and and they and they resigned. He he was looking to get back in and actually, you know, hostily acquire back the company that he founded, and you know, and and had obviously uh, his equity had been diluted over time, and was looking, you know, to to get that back, and the and and they put in place a poison pill. Um, that would allow stockholders to buy stock at a discount if uh, John Shatner or any of his family members, he's the found, he was the original founder, raised the equity stake in the company to 31% or more, or if anyone else bought at least 15%. So they ended up settling that out you know, in, in, in March of 19 uh, in an undisclosed settlement. So you would assume that, uh, that the Shatner family and, and, and John Shatner didn't get all they wanted, but in some ways, maybe the company gave up gave up something, but the poison pill worked at least some extent there. Um, so, really, you know, the goal here in this in this poison pill in Twitter's case is to flood the market with new shares that would, if Musk or any anybody else hit fifteen percent, that would immediately dilute, you know, his interest at, in the company. So, and that's similar to what what, what Papa John's did, for example, and, and that's the common, you know, that's the common approach. There was another example back in uh, 2012, November, when Carl Icahn and his group uh, looked to take over in a hostile takeover, take over Netflix. And uh, Netflix used a poison pill that similarly would have made it way more expensive for uh, Icahn and his group to uh, accumulate uh, more shares of Netflix without approval of the company board. There was another situation for Men's Warehouse in October 2013 where Joseph A. Bank looked to take them over and Men's Warehouse survived it. Uh, and then um, interestingly, uh, both companies ended up filing bankruptcy later because it, it actually went the other way. Men's Warehouse acquired Joseph A. Bank in March 2014, and then they all went bankrupt in August of 20. So, you know, who knows whether that was a good, a good outcome, but, uh, but, but they used this poison pill to stave off uh, a hostile acquisition when it was Joseph A. Bank trying to acquire Men's Warehouse. There are also some examples of companies that have done this even when they're not under threat. And this is one of the reasons why these um, hostile takeovers have become a lot less popular than they were in the 80s. It's not just that companies institute poison pills at the time, but they actually build in poison pills to their to their bylaws and their charters and their, you know, and, and, and their, their structures um, just even before there's any threat. And, you know, the advantage of that is that... Um, so one of the issues with the poison pill is that it could be challenged, right? The board has a fiduciary duty to do what's in the best interest of the shareholders always. Now, the argument for the poison pills is that, hey, we don't think like Twitter's board, I'm sure it has minute, I'm not involved by the way. So when I say I'm sure, I'm just sure because I know how these things go. Uh, I have no inside knowledge, 
But uh, I'm, uh, you know, my guess, or I'm shooting pretty sure that, you know, uh, in the minutes that we're discussing the approval of the, of the, of the poison pill by Twitter's board um, to thwart uh, Musk, you know, they did a full d- discussion on all the reasons why this is best for their shareholders. They would have to come to the conclusion that the takeover by Musk would not be better for everybody, even though, by the way, he, like most acquirers, uh, was offering an offer price that was above the company's stock price, right? So, you know, in theory, if he's willing to pay that, the stock price should go up, which would benefit the shareholders. So they have to they have to uh, jump through some hoops to show, hey, there are more, you know, downsides to that potential acquisition with what, uh, in this case, Musk would do with Twitter that would hurt that they honestly, in their fiduciary capacity, feel would eventually hurt the company. And therefore, uh, the company is better off trying to thwart that and putting the poison pill in place. People can challenge that, you know, shareholders, including Musk, right, because he's already a 9% shareholder, could challenge that board decision as a breach of fiduciary duty and, and try to show that it's not in the best interest of, you know, the company, and therefore it was an improper action by the board. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. Now, let me talk about something here that does relate to some things that we do more often for clients. And that is, that is jurisdiction choice. Most of these public companies are formed in Delaware. And there's a reason they're formed in Delaware, because on those kind of shareholder derivative suits, those kind of lawsuits where a, a shareholder may sue the board members to say, hey, this poison pill, for example, there's just one example, this poison pill, for example, is not in the best interest. You breach your fiduciary duty. Or this comment applies to any kind of breach of fiduciary duty claim with a minority or any minority owner. Uh, feels that the majority owners or the board is acting not in their best interest. Um, Delaware statutory law is super favorable to management, majority owners, control people in these kind of decisions. Yeah. Now, listen, let's be clear. What you can't do is you can't, you know, you can't do something that's criminal or really self-dealing or only benefits you. But if you are making a decision that has justification that you thought it was in the best interest of the, com- of the company. By the way, even if it turns out to be a bad decision, right? You're allowed to make bad decisions. You just have to make them in good faith and show that, you know, you were looking at the, uh, in your mind, or in the board's mind, the, you know, the majority shareholder's mind, that you were acting what you truly thought was in the best interest of the company, right? Whether you end up to be right or wrong. And that, you know, you acted, you know, in the scope of what a reasonable, you know, uh, management board, et cetera, would do. There, it's very hard to break through that in, for example, in Delaware under the statute. Now, there are some other um, states like, for example, Nevada and Wyoming that adopted very similar statutes. The reason why us lawyers tend to keep companies in Delaware is that Delaware uh, has not only a very favorable statute, but it's got over 100 years of case law. And many, a lot of cases with these public companies, because there's much more litigation in Delaware because so many public companies were formed there. This Delaware was, was smart many years ago. They said, you know, that we're a small state and they and this was a huge revenue raising opportunity for them. And, and they've made a lot of money over the years for companies registering there and paying their fees. 
Um, so most of the case law is in Delaware. So any case, you know, it's a little aside, but it's the reason why whenever we have a client that is going to have any kind of minority ownership, either up front or certainly if they're going to raise capital, you know, going down the line or maybe do acquisitions where they're going to give minority ownership or even minority ownership to employees, we always recommend that they be in Delaware because it protects the company and the and the founders and, you know, the majority shareholders of the board. Uh, against those types of claims. So what does that mean in terms of the poison pill? Well, what it means is that there, it, these things are hard to challenge because one, these companies are likely in Delaware uh, or in, you know, in, a, in a similar state. Number two, the, so, you know, it's basically called the business judgment rule. You know, if their business judgment is, seems to be sound, they, they can't be challenged. No, number two, they, the firms have gotten way, very sophisticated in making sure they properly justify these decisions as proper business decisions, the best interest of the, of the shareholders. So it's even harder to meet those standards. Not impossible, but way harder. So it, it, how this relates to the conversation of, of companies that have put the poison pill in place after a triggering event, like Musk getting 9% saying he wanted to take over, take over Twitter, or the ones that I started to talk about who have just put it in place up front, is that... It, you know, I think there's more of a chance, although it's still not high, of one of these being put in place, like in the Twitter situation, when it's in reaction to something that's already happened, where it could be much more portrayed by Musk, for example, as a situation of the current board trying to keep its control for their own benefit, right? You know, and that there, there are problems with Twitter and there are problems with the decisions that the board would make and they're not looking to uh, get thrown out. And also maybe they would even have liability in theory, again, tough claims, you know, about making poor decisions in the past. And so, whereas if you've done it as part of your uh, certainly original charter, or even if you've done it, you know, way past that, but it's, uh, but there's no activity going on, no hostile takeover going on, uh, you know, it's, I think it's easy to argue that, hey, we didn't do this in response to anything. We didn't do it because we hate Elon Musk, you know, or whoever your acquirer is. Uh, but we just did it because it was part of our governance you know, process and the decision that we made. And we thought it would be in the best interest of our shareholders. And I think it's just easier to justify, although still, you know, likely you'll be able to justify it in a scenario like Twitter. I, I think there's there's at least more claims that somebody like Musk can make on breach of fiduciary duty if it's reactive than if it's sort of proactive, right? So there's a little bit more chance at least. So it'll be interesting to see what Musk does on that, whether, he, you know, I would expect that he and his team knew this would be coming because it's a standard, you know, a tactical move and they must have a, um, a strategy for it. Maybe they're going to sue to try to try to say it was improper. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next number of days and weeks. You know, so uh, it's interesting, you know, just just a couple of the companies that have put in these um, these poison pill uh, shareholder rights plans in advance of having any issue are companies like McDonald's, uh, like Walt Disney, um, you know, and then there's, there's many, many others. You know, it's an interesting time. I mean, you know, it's I, I know, especially Musk is a, <laughs> is a uh, well, you know, frankly, a lot of these uh, hostile acquirers have, have always been divisive folks, Carl, Carl Icahn, you know, in his group or whatever. Musk is, you know, is, can be divisive in other ways. Uh, and, you know, and there is, there does seem to be a, what could be a politicized aspect of this, which I won't get into a lot of them to identify it, where, you know, Musk is talking about uh, taking Twitter private and then having it be a platform where free speech is more broadly allowed. I don't know what that means in terms of whether in terms of monitoring or vetting or kicking people off the platform and whatever, whether he would change some of those decisions that were made. 
Um, but, you know, so this can become a very interesting uh, topic for other reasons, you know, and for dramatic reasons and for political reasons and things like that. You know, but it's also very interesting from a deal point of view, right? You know, pretty much all the deals we've talked about. In fact, I think uh, I don't think there's been an exception uh, on this podcast for the 160 some odd episodes that we've been doing it so far are all consensual deals, right? You know, um, because that's how you know generally deals get done. But a hostile takeover is, is just the opposite, right? Hostile takeover means that you know uh, there's going to be a battle, and uh, often the first offer that the um, buyer is made on a hostile takeover is never, you know, the best offer. Uh, they're probably going to have to push up if there's any chance that they're going to get the deal done. They always leave room for that. Um, and you've got a company that does not want to be acquired, at least by them. Um, and they, um, you know, and they're going to be fighting back. The other thing that happens sometimes in these situations is that, you know, is this concept of a white knight. And what is a white knight? Well, you know, it's, you know, you see white knights in the movies, for, you know, saving the, the damsel in distress or those kind of things. Well, that's where the term comes from. You know, the white knight uh, is sometimes a company that will come in that is a more uh, acceptable choice to the existing management and shareholders to, to buy them. So, you know, this would be an example, you know, let's use Twitter because that's what triggered this whole uh, solo test. So Twitter's in play, Musk is bought up 9%, he's going to potentially buy up a bunch more, going to take it over. Maybe someone else sees an opportunity and approaches the company, or the existing management, et cetera, has relationships at another company that they'd be much more comfortable being acquired by, other than Musk, and either by the reach out by that potential other acquirer or the inquiry by uh, Twitter to, you know, to, to, or the invitation, another company gets involved as a potential buyer. And now we have two or more companies vying for the acquisition of Twitter in this example, uh, you know, and, and one or more of them might be favorable, you know, white, white knights or, or friendly deals versus the hostile um, acquirer deal. Now, the other, the other thing you have to this is because, of course, if you were a privately held company, right, there's no way to take over a privately held company. So if you if you have potential buyer choices and you don't like and you don't like one of them and you like another one, you can just go sell to the one you like, right? You don't have to do business with the one you don't like. But in a public company with all kinds of fiduciary duties and where there's the ability to buy equity on the public markets, right? Where you can't necessarily prevent somebody from just buying up more shares from other people who own them, right? A lot of people own Twitter. Anybody could sell their their, their shares uh, to um to Musk, uh, including, you know, an individual investor, but more likely institutional and other bigger investors who may be, you know, aligned or see the opportunity to get out at, at, at profits because he's paying a premium. You know, it's very different than in the privately held situation because in the public situation, uh, you don't always have a choice as the management board, uh, majority shareholders of the company to guarantee that you'll do a deal with the, with the company that's friendly as opposed to the company that's hostile. But it does prevent another um, alternative. And, uh, you know, the board can then consider the various offices and decide that the uh, friendly buyers are better, right? Uh, and decide to sell, you know, to them. Uh, and also, you know, they may come in and start buying up, you know, equity as well with the, with the company's um, stock, with the company's blessing. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that, that develops in this case. Many of these fail. And listen, this is the interesting part about the deal for the hostile uh, acquirers uh, in a hostile takeover is even when the deal fails, meaning that they don't get to take over the company, it doesn't mean that they lose money. Sometimes they might, right? Sometimes maybe they're, they're, they're buying equity, especially if they continue to buy to try to increase their, their share as the price goes up because the company's in play. So we've seen uh, Twitter stock go, go up. 
um, because you know Musk offered above the offering price, so it's sometimes uh, or, or the um, public, you know, the public price. Um, so sometimes you know the, the 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 value will go up when the company's in play, especially now if you get multiple buyers and they saw it, you know, in a bidding war, which happens sometimes, uh, generally. And by the way, they they could even be other hostile hostile buyers as well. Um, so what happens sometimes is, yeah, I mean, sometimes listen, uh, you know, once things start to fall apart, the stock drops, and 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 a hostile acquirer could take a loss, and there's been examples of that. But there's also been many examples where, okay, they don't achieve their their objective, um, but they actually make money because the stock ends up higher than when they bought it, and when they and when they sell out, either just to give up and go elsewhere, or as, as part of some sort of settlement, you know, they they actually make money. And sometimes what they do is they will leverage, you know, in, in order to settle a deal, maybe they don't get control, but they will leverage maybe um, some sort of access or a change in governance in some way, or, you know, a change in, you know, in policy, maybe uh, this is what some, some of the, what they call the activist um, shareholders try to do, um, you know, force change. So sometimes those kind of things come out of this. But, you know, in general, the main goal is usually to take over the company and they're successful or not. But again, but again the interesting part about this deal is that just because you don't achieve the objective doesn't mean that you don't make money on the deal. You could even make money on the deal in that case. Um, so, yeah, listen, I thought this was a fun topic. It's in the news now. It's not the first time this has happened. But I think uh, because these hostile takeovers are, are less common now and because it's Twitter and because it's Elon Musk, and because Twitter has been very politicized because of certain decisions of, you know, different people being blocked in access and who should and how it's been used, you know, I think this one is going to get a lot of general attention beyond, you know, just in the deal space. And a lot of people are going to talk about it. And uh, inevitably what that means, there'll, there'll be a lot of misinformation that's going back and forth. Uh, I mean, yes, sometimes for political reasons, but just, just also because, uh, you know, there's a lack of sophistication sometimes, you know, in terms of... Uh, how, how things are reported and talked about, uh, you know, and and they're reactive and they're judgmental. Um, but you know, this is this is how it works. So so it's an interesting. Um, if you get down to the core, um, uh, you know, of the legal part of it, the interesting part will be can the uh, can the with the assumed challenge that will likely come from Musk, can the Twitter board uh, justify that uh, this was done in the best interest of the. Uh, of, of the shareholders again, the deck is stacked in their favor on this, but not. But that doesn't mean that they're 100% scot free. You know, will uh, uh, Musk be able to buy it even if the company's stock is diluted and, and devalued? Will another, will another player come in to create competition, friendly or not? Will that put Twitter in play where it will get sold to somebody? Um, you know, and if so, what will that deal look like? What would be the impact, obviously, on Twitter if if there was a change of hands, or even if is a leveraging of some change of policy based upon some agreement, um, and um, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be uh, you know even outside of the drama of it, I think there are some you know interesting uh, legal and also strategic. You know, this is you know, people who know me know I love strategy. I love you know we figure out strategy on deals all the time. We figure out strategy on how to uh, you know even get disputes you know and things you know closed and and uh, and that kind of stuff. And this. This kind of thing is all about strategy. I mean, that's what a poison pill, a shareholder's rights plan is. It's a strategic move to make the company less valuable only to the people who are hostile trying to acquire it and to protect the value. Uh, you know, it would be the argument of the existing shareholders. I mean, that is a strategic move. And obviously, you know, like I said, 
I am sure that Musk and his team have anticipated this, which means they have a strategic move coming to try to counteract that, whether it's litigation or something else. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. So that's a bit on shareholders' rights plans or poison pills, as you probably more hear about them more in the media. Um, it's a, you know, it's an interesting uh, area. Uh, by the way, just to make clear, if Musk is successful, it will end up you know with a with, with acquiring control of the company. So that that would be the deal that he want. And, and what what does that do for him? That way, if he's successful in that, uh, depending upon again what's in the governance structure. Because there are other things you can put in place that are more that are like poison pill type things, where uh, you know it, it, it creates some ability of maybe certain classes of shareholders to appoint board positions. All these things that you can do, but you know, in concept, potentially uh, barring those things, if Musk was able to take over, he he can get control of the decision making of the company. Potentially, you know, um, put up a slate of board members that were more favorable to him. Um, uh, either you know now or, or it might take time as people's terms you know uh, evolve out and uh, you know and then take Twitter in a different direction. In fact, he's he's talking about taking it totally private, which would mean buying all of the equity. And in which case, if the if Twitter is no longer public, it really gives him way more flexibility and, and and control over you know over what he can do with it. So it'll be really interesting to see, folks. Uh, I'm going to be following it. Um, and, you know, you can follow it now, maybe with a little more understanding of knowledge when they say poison pill, what that means. Um, so until next week, when I will be back with another great guest, it's been great talking to you about Twitter, Elon Musk, poison pill, shells rights, uh, and uh, some of this uh, fun or dramatic, however you want to look at it, stuff that may come up around this potential hostile deal for Twitter. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.